So imagine there's a snake sitting on top of your head right now and you're afraid of snakes. Maybe it's a rattlesnake. Maybe you're not afraid of snakes, but usually when I say to people, it's a rattlesnake, he's sitting on your top of your head and shaking his rattle. And I come in and I say, I have really important things I need to tell you so that you can take care of your child or yourself, whatever it is, when you go home, how much are you going to hear while there's a snake on your head? And when I say this to a crowd of people, they all go, nothing. And I go, yes. And that's what we do every day to people when they walk into our doors. Every day, people walk in our doors afraid. May not be that they have a snake on their head, obviously, but there's something else they're worried about. They have a different snake. And we don't know what it is. And while they have that snake on top of their head, they don't hear anything that we're saying to them. And so I think part of our job is to help get that snake off their head so they can hear us. Welcome to Difficult Conversations, lessons I learned as an ICU physician with Dr. Anthony Orsini. Dr. Orsini is a practicing physician and president and CEO of the Orsini Web. As a frequent keynote speaker and author, Dr. Orsini has been training healthcare professionals and business leaders how to navigate through the most difficult dialogues. Each week, you will hear inspiring interviews with experts in their field who tell their story and provide practical advice on how to effectively communicate. Whether you are a doctor faced with giving a patient bad news, a business leader who wants to get the most out of his or her team members, or someone who just wants to learn to communicate better, this is the podcast for you. Well, welcome to a difficult conversation. Lessons I've learned as an ICU physician. This is Dr. Anthony Orsini. And I'll be your host again today. Well, as many of you know, I've done several podcast episodes on what really is the hottest topic in medicine, and that's the patient experience. I personally spent a large part of my, as you know, researching and teaching healthcare professionals how to use effective communication to build relationships with patients and improve the overall patient experience. Because it is my belief, and I'm sure my guests today would agree, that the key to a good experience is the relationships that we build and really the human side of medicine. And it is the basis for my book, It's All the Delivery, and the basis really for our guest book today. So today we have another guest who has dedicated her career to improving healthcare and helping patients get over their fears of the healthcare system. Today my guest is Mindy Spiegel. Mindy has both a bachelor's and master's degree in nursing. She's worked in both inpatient and outpatient settings and has taught in both academic and clinical settings. Her passion is helping people create meaningful connections as a leader, a team member, while still providing the best care. She enjoys helping leaders build strong teams and exceptional work environments. Mindy is committed to helping teams communicate, respect each other, and work effectively. It is her desire to alleviate the fear, build trust, and create an exceptional experience for all. She's been honored and represented by numerous national, state, and local conferences. She has published a research study on the fears of parents when their child is a patient and just released a book, which we're going to spend a lot of time talking about with a great name. There's a snake on my head, strategies for alleviating fear and anxiety in healthcare. Well, welcome, Randy. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be here today. Oh, well, thank you so much. That was great introduction. Thank you. Yes, I'm excited to be here and talking with you today. Yeah, so let's start out because, you know, you and I both have, you know, as I read your book, and it was great, by the way. What is that book? Yeah, again? 
It's actually going to be released August 16th on Amazon, both in Kindle and a book form. So by the time this airs, which will be sometime in September, it'll be very easily to be printed. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that book. But both of our philosophies are very similar and that we believe in relationships. And that's how you improve not only healthcare, but also business and the best leaders learn how to communicate. So in that vein, let's talk about how we can build a relationship with you. So let's start out by telling us who Mindy is. Tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, and how you came to this, as we like to joke around here, the pinnacle of your career being on this podcast. <laughs> oh, absolutely. The pinnacle of my career. I love this. So actually, I started off in Florida, another connection we have. I started off going to nursing school in Florida and started off as a pediatric nurse as well and immediately realized that it's all about relationships. I toyed between whether I wanted to be a psych nurse or a pediatric nurse, knew my love was working with children and worked with children with cancer early on in my career. And all of that was about establishing relationships with patients and with their families and communication. I currently live in San Antonio, Texas, where I worked for a hospital system there, a six hospital system, one of the hospitals being a children's hospital where I started. And then I branched out into the adult world. And I really worked there for almost 30 years. And most of my time I was there was focused on creating first a great experience for the clinicians and the healthcare team as a whole, because I believe that has to come first. So that ultimately we can create a great experience for patients and families. So that's really what my passion is and what led me to do my research. Let's go back even further. Born in Florida, what's your likes, dislikes? We need to get to know Mindy as a person before we trust her to give us advice. Oh, okay. Well, I love that. I always know something about that person that has nothing to do with why they're here. So... I actually was born in Detroit, but my parents moved me to Florida when I was three. So I consider myself a Florida girl. So I usually say I'm from Florida. Where in Florida? St. Petersburg. Beautiful beaches. I'm a Florida West Coast girl. Love the beach. Love the water. That's my happy place. If you want to know a little bit about me, that's it. I love walking on the beach. I do a lot of yoga and meditation. And if I do that, I think of myself laying on a raft, floating in the water, gently rocking. Did yoga on a paddleboard once and thought that was amazing because I didn't have to pretend that I was rocking on the waves. And yoga on the beach is the best. It brings all the things I love all together. So that's who I am. I'm a Florida girl at heart. Left for one year to get my master's degree in 1979 and haven't quite moved back yet. But my family is there. So I go back and visit as much as I can. That's fantastic. So, but there's a lot of nurses. And a lot of doctors and a lot of healthcare professionals who are really very good at their job, but don't take the kind of path that you and I've taken. We still care for children and adults, but what really got you into, when you talk about it in your book a little bit, I'm going to mention that book multiple times, you want to hear about the title, but what really got you into the path and really your passion for patient experience? I don't think I realized it at the time it was happening, but as a very young nurse of all of 21 years old, I was working in a general hospital on a general pediatric unit. And so it was the only one unit had a ICU in it. It had private rooms. It had little wards back then, but it didn't look like it was the right place for children. It didn't have children's artwork on the floor and it 
We had to, in the book I talk about, I remember one day going, how are you supposed to make a sick child eat shrimp creole? Like children don't normally <laughs> like shrimp creole. How's a sick child? Because it wasn't focused for children because it was a general hospital and this is back in the 70s. So I went to my supervisor and I was telling her the things I felt weren't pediatric friendly. Oh, and my big one was parents were considered to be visitors back then and they had visiting hours. It didn't make sense to me. I was like, who's really the visitor in this child's life? Their parent or me? You know, I kind of thought I was sort of the visitor. They were sort of their most important people. And I took this list of concerns to my supervisor and she said, if you want to do all these things, Mindy, you're going to have to talk to the chief nurse. Well, I didn't exactly know back then that you didn't go to the chief nurse with your concerns. And I said, could I? And she arranged that meeting and I talked to the chief nurse and she listened to all my concerns. And then I went off to graduate school. And when I came back to visit one day and one of the nursing assistants took me by my hand and showed me, there were now beds for parents to spend the night. And there was now artwork on the floor and the kids weren't eating shrimp creole anymore. And so I think if I go back to that defining moment, I have a feeling that this is what I was meant to do, that I was meant to advocate for the patient in family-centered care. That's really a lot of what my career has been around is creating an environment that's really good for patients and families, that they're in the center of care as opposed to us as the providers. That's a great story. So I'm guessing, though, that you weren't a shy young woman because that's pretty bold for a young nurse to go up and say, this is what it takes. So I guess that just was your personality or was it you just had this calling to do it? I think I had this calling to do it, truthfully. I'm not okay. sure if I think back to my young self that I had any clue what I was doing at the time. However, the other side is I mentioned that I think it's important to work on the team's experience. And I've also been a very big advocate for shared decision-making and asking the team, how will this work and how can we make this work? Because I think they're the ones who know how to do their jobs best. So that was really a defining moment in my career. I just didn't know it. Well, now you're being an excellent clinician. You're working hard for the patient experience. You're starting to notice things and call things out. I can attest. As people have heard me talk about in the podcast and in my book, you know, I had childhood epilepsy. Thankfully, I grew out of it by the time I was 12 or 13 years old, as many childhood epilepsies do. But in those days, every time you had a seizure, they put you in the hospital and there were visiting hours. So here I am, five, six years old, some of my earliest memories. But I was very fortunate. And now my father was a police officer in the city of Newark. And that's where I was, Newark, New Jersey. And so he was working the night shifts. And so he would come in his uniform and of course they'd let him in because he was a coming police officer. And so my dad got to visit me at night <laughs> when I was more fortunate. Of course, he couldn't stay all night. But now the idea of five or six year old being in the hospital with visiting hours until six o'clock would be unheard of. He would think that that's the most ridiculous thing in the world, but that's the way it was. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's pretty crazy. We've come a long way. And I know you did some stuff with the Barrel Institute and some things on that also. But let's move to your book. I got to ask you about the title. <laughs> you and I spoke about this before, but everyone is probably out there going, what's the deal with that? The title, There's a Snake on My Head, Strategies for Alleviating Fear and Anxiety in Healthcare. So tell us about that title and how that came about. 
So I have to give credit where credit is due. I actually did not originate this. It actually started, I heard Colleen Sweeney speak once, also in Florida. She's in Florida. I didn't hear her in Florida. And Colleen did a presentation one day about her work around patients' fears. That's really what started me on this journey. And she talked about the fact that if you're afraid of snakes, so imagine there's a snake sitting on top of your head right now and you're afraid of snakes. Maybe it's a rattlesnake. Maybe you're not afraid of snakes, but Usually when I say to people, it's a rattlesnake, he's sitting on the top of your head and shaking his rattle. And I come in and I say, I have really important things I need to tell you so that you can take care of your child or yourself, whatever it is, when you go home, how much are you going to hear while there's a snake on your head? And when I say this to a crowd of people, they all go, nothing. And I go, yes. And that's what we do every day to people when they walk into our doors. Every day, people walk in our doors afraid. May not be that they have a snake on their head, obviously, but there's something else they're worried about. They have a different snake and we don't know what it is. And while they have that snake on top of their head, they don't hear anything that we're saying to them. And so I think part of our job is to help get that snake off their head so they can hear us. Yeah, I talk about it in my book and I know that I have evidence to back it up, but what are the mistakes that we make? in healthcare and inpatient experience is taking hospitals and saying the best way to improve the patient experience is to make them more like hotel. And I'm always trying to send this is a major mistake. And I had Jason Wolf on from the Berlin Institute, which he's an amazing man. Everybody loves him. And Jason totally agrees with this. And this is the biggest problem we're having in healthcare. And I guess I'm going to make some enemies out there, but because there are many Cheap abatement phrases in hospitals with the hotel background. Many of them have been able to take the best on hotel accommodations and the experience for a customer and then learn about what the differences are and have been phenomenal at cheap patient experience. But there's others that come in and try to cheat it like a hotel. And it's not because when you go to a hotel, there's no snake on your head. So it's a big, big difference. So Comment on that a little bit about the mistakes that we make because of this, thinking that the best way to improve the patient experience is by putting nicer carpet in and a big screen TV. Yes, yes. Well, I do talk a little bit about in the book about first impressions when you walk in the door, like how things look and feel. But more importantly, if you think about being afraid, and if I can talk for just a moment about what I learned in my research about what people are afraid of, what are the common snakes? Now, remember, everybody's is different. So you have to find out. You may want to ask them, what is your greatest worry or concern I can help you with today to find out what their snake is? But across the board, we interviewed over 200 families, inpatient, outpatient, ambulatory surgery, and ER. And we asked them about their fears. And across the board, they wanted to know, is my child going to be okay? So diagnosis and prognosis came up as number one, communication, and then infection. Now, of those, the only even closely related to the hotel experience, other than being warmly welcomed and feeling like we want them there, the only other one is that cleanliness, the infection. And I do think if the hospital doesn't look clean, then people don't trust everything else that we do. That's the one thing I'll take from the hospital. Otherwise, I think if you think about their top three fears of, is my child going to be okay? Am I going to understand what's going on here and save? The second question we asked in my research was, what are the most important things we can do for you 
And they said, keep me informed again across the board in all the settings. Keep me informed. Keep me safe. Keep me comfortable. And so I really believe if we're going to put resources into anything, it is how do we help people feel like we want them to be there? We're going to take great care of them and we're going to keep them safe. And then even though number one was keep me informed, I think you got to do two and three first to get that snake off their head. So they hear that you're keeping them informed. So I really think those are the things more than some of the special hotel features. But I think people do need to have that warm welcome. And I think hotels do do that well. That is one thing we could take. In the book, I talk about how do people get greeted when they walk into the hospital? How do they get greeted when they walk on the unit? I do think those first impressions do matter because it sets the tone. And we could learn from the hotel industry on that. Yeah, I was reading your book and there were so many different kind of threads between your book and my book. Absolutely. Even the sign that we see in the hospital, you know, I saw one in my book where it shows people standing in single file at attention and saying, wait here and give that impression that you're an invited guest. And if you don't act accordingly, we're going to throw you out of here as opposed to somebody who, and you would never say that to your neighbor or your friend. You do five relieving strategies, the number one, fill the relationship. And that's the one that I feel most passionate about. So tell us more about that. Yes. And you did that. You modeled it perfectly with having me introduce myself. I think people need to know you care about them as a person first. And so one of the things I challenge everybody to always do is to find out at least one thing about them that has nothing to do with why they walked in the door today. And if we could find out one thing about them, then they become a person to us and not patient number 564 that we're seeing today. Because for them, it's their first encounter. It doesn't matter what encounter it is for us. I think that helps to build that connection. And then if we take the time to sit down as we talk to people, and I think in the book, I think those pictures, I have those two pictures of the, I was preparing a presentation to give actually to physicians one day. And I ran in across the street to our children's emergency room with my phone. I mean, it wasn't even fancy camera equipment. And I grabbed a couple staff people, handed my phone to one. I pretended I was the patient sat down in a chair and I had two staff people talk to me while they were standing and I was sitting and they took a picture. And then they sat down and talked to me. And it's so powerful, the difference. And I encourage you to even try that. Talk to somebody with them standing and then while you're standing and then sit down and feel the difference. And one of the things people say to me is when people are standing, they're talking at me. And when they sit down, they're talking with me. And I think that right there helps to build the connection. So I think eye contact matters, sitting down matters, and knowing something about them that makes them a person first. Yeah, and that's really important. I can tell you, you know this work in the hospital. I've been to the hospital before where even as a doctor, they'll call me and they'll say, doctor, I've seen you the baby in 52. I have a high bilirubin. And I will very politely say the name and they'll say, um, let me look that up. And you know, <laughs> my subtle message is the baby has a name. And I know it's easier for you to remember 52, but that's how we have to bring that human side to medicine again. And they don't mean anything by it, but it's a culture. And once you mention it to them, they do go, well, you know, that kind of makes sense. So it's kind of easy. 
I had a colleague, I joke about it in my book, my TED talk also, sharing personal information with the patients because people are going to be very reluctant to share their fears and anxieties and their personal relationship with someone that they can't relate to on a personal level. And it's called finding commonality. And I firmly believe we can find commonality everywhere. It doesn't matter what your race is, your ethnicity, where you're from, your background, the country, how poor, how rich you are. There is something that you can find commonality in. And Gregor Alexander is a wonderful former colleague of mine who epitomized this. And actually, we're going to have his interview on right after yours. <laughs> but Gregor could meet anyone from anywhere in the world. And within five minutes, feel like their best friend. We hit the joke. So Gregor, how are you related to that? Because he would find out that, oh, you know this person who knows this person. Or I've been the Lisbon and my aunt lives in whatever it was. If you watch the patient's. As soon as that connection's made, they're still, I mean, go down a little bit, their anxieties. Like people go, well, that doesn't really make any sense. And I said, kind of like the snake thing, I would say to them, imagine you're in a hospital in, I don't know, France, and no one speaks English. Your fear is going to be super high that all of a sudden a nurse walks in and speaks perfect English to you and happens to be from New York where you're from. What's going to happen to your fear and anxiety? It's going to decrease. So let's work on that first, right? I mean, it's so important. And we do kind of speak a foreign language, even if your language is English and in healthcare, don't we speak a little bit different English, right? It's kind of confusing. As you just said all of that about finding commonalities, I just have to say today happened because we were on a Zoom meeting with a whole lot of other people and you started talking and you shared that you were in Florida, that you were a neonatologist, and that you really cared about communication with patients and families. And I messaged you and said, I want to meet you because we have so much in common, right? We had that immediate. Yeah. And you weren't even talking directly to just me, but immediately I felt that connection because of those three things. So and I'm so glad you reached out because I can honestly say this was going to be something like our 80th. In fifth episode by the time this drops. And I can say, I feel that I've had a friendship with every single one of my people that I've interviewed because you have a half hour conversation and you become friends with people. And so take the time as a clinician to get to know those people. It's very funny you talk about the sitting down thing. It's crazy how many doctors and nurses speak to family members standing up. And so I did a lecture once and I brought a chair on stage. And I said, I'm going to share a secret with everyone out there where we're talking about sitting down. And I moved the chair to the center of the stage. And I said, airs moved. <laughs> I might not know that. They moved. And everyone laughed because that's exactly what happens in the hospital, right? The doctor walks in and he or she will probably look around and see if there's not a chair right there, they're not going to go get one. Yeah. So, it's really funny you say that because I, one of the things I did a lot was shadowed hospitalists. Very honored that people would let me do that because they wanted to improve their connections they were making with their patients. And so I would go with them and observing, then give them a couple ideas of things they might be able to do. Well, that's one of the big things I talk about is sitting down. And this one doctor said, it's hard. There's not always available seat. And I said, well, what can we do about that? Well, you know what? He started taking a chair with him into all of them. <laughs> and I 
I'm hoping to this day he still does, but I used to have staff say to me, Dr. So-and-so is always pushing one of the chairs from the nurse's station into the patient's room. Go, well, he's sitting down then, obviously, because why come with a chair if you're not going to use it? <laughs> and what kind of message you're sending to someone, a patient that says, I want to speak to you and get to know you so much that I'm willing to walk 10 feet, go get a chair yeah. and bring it back. Because we always think of doctors as being so busy, et cetera. So it sends a great message. So there's five of these relieving strategies. One is build a relationship. Two is choose your work carefully. Three, manage the first impression. Four, it takes a team. And five is technology and the relationship. So I want to talk about choose your words carefully. That's number two. I don't know if we'll be able to hit on every single one of them. That's okay. But I'm a big proponent of that. So tell us about that real quickly. Yeah, I think words matter. I mean, I have to tell this story really fast because it was a big aha for me about how important words were. In that, I'm a Southwest Airlines flyer. And one day was flying somewhere to do a presentation and Southwest Airlines didn't go there. So I had to fly another airline. And I arrived at the airport and I had to pay to check my bag. And now I knew I was going to have to, but it didn't keep me from thinking to myself, "Ah, Southwest doesn't make me pay to check my bag. And I got to the gate and they had a red carpet laid out and they were saying, boarding group one, down the red carpet, boarding group two, down the red carpet. By the time they got to my boarding group, they said against the wall. And it was like the red carpet was empty. And okay, so I might be a little bit, I may walk down the red carpet just out of spite, but it was like Southwest, you don't have to pay extra to be treated like a first class passenger. Everybody is treated that way. The flight attendant didn't do the announcements the same way that Southwest does. And by the time they didn't do the drink order the same way, and I'm going, they don't do it like Southwest does. I said to myself, stop it. Stop it. Did they take off on time? Has this flight been pretty smooth so far? And at that moment, I realized I woke up that morning and I thought to myself, this isn't going to be a Southwest experience. And my brain heard me and it wanted me to be right. And so it kept finding examples. If you think about it, if you wake up and you go, this is going to be a Monday. Or I have to go into that difficult patient's room. It's going to be a difficult patient and it's going to be a Monday because your brain is going to look for those things. Now let's put it into patient experience. If we know what patients are looking from us is to keep them informed, keep them safe, keep them comfortable, use those words. Just say things like, you know what? I'm going to do everything I can to keep you just as comfortable as I can while you're here. We are going to work as a team to keep you safe while you're here. And they're going to start looking for everything you do that keeps them comfortable and safe. And then, of course, informed. We're going to keep you informed. We're going to use this communication board up here to make sure you know everything that's going on. We're going to tell you what's going to happen before it happens. We can use that example. And the brain's going to start looking for everything we do to keep them safe, informed, and comfortable. One of my big things is be careful about how we talk about time. Because when we say to people, we're going to be back in a minute, what do we usually mean? Soon? Yeah. What do they hear? 60 seconds. So we just have to be careful about how we say things because that's what they're hearing. And we have to try to use words that they're going to understand because words are, again, we speak a foreign language in healthcare. You know, it's a big deal now we're doing bedside rounds, bedside sign-outs, which we're big, old big advocates for. It's great. But for those of you who don't know what that is, because we're not all in healthcare in this audience, when the nurses change shift, they change shift in front of the patient. So they tell each other, 
in typical teaching hospitals, the doctor will round the resident, the residents will present, the doctor will teach. We do that in front of the patient often, but what we don't realize is, especially in the United States, we use more radiation than any other country in the world. And then we use a lot of different kinds of slang and non-medical terms. And it's important. Sometimes I'll say, listen, I'm going to speak to the residents now because I'm going to teach them. I'll come, you know, we'll talk afterwards or I'll come back afterwards. But someone wrote an article in neonatology, and I can't remember who, and it was a fun article about the things that we say in neonatology that bring patients out, but you don't realize it. So, for instance, if you're not in neonatology, sometimes the baby's abdomen gets distended, and the baby gets some gas distension, and sometimes that can mean an infection. And so we'll do some blood work or an x-ray for that. The way it's often referred to around is, well, last night the baby's belly blew up. And oh, we, my God, yes. <laughs> and we got an x-ray, right? And so there were a whole bunch of those where the packs go, my what? baby's blew belly up? blew up. Like, what was this? And so we have to be careful what we say in front of the family and then make sure that we interpret that because there's so many different things that you say that are misinterpreted. Yes. And I want to take it one step further, particularly like when the nurses are changing shift, I ask them to go right up there to the patient's bedside and have them be part of the conversation. Because then, first of all, you tend to use words that you would say to them. Like, I don't think anyone would have looked at a patient and said, well, your stomach blew up last night. We wouldn't have said that. And then the second piece is that they get to fill in the gaps in the story and it makes them feel comfortable. When that happens, I actually had that experience on the other side as a patient when the nurse that was coming on to duty literally stood next to me and looked at me while the other nurse was giving a report and got my feedback on what she was saying. And I felt like we were a team. She and I were the team hearing <laughs> how to take care of me on this next shift. So I think, yes, in the room is a good thing, but we have to remember the patient is there as well, that they're a part of that conversation. I want to skip over. We've done a lot more than I really anticipate a lot of episodes on physician burnout, on physician suicide. Yeah. It wasn't planned, but it's a, the other hot topic in patient experience. And it's been in the news a lot. And we just had some wonderful guests on that. But you do have in your part two of your book, healthcare team members are people too. So I'm going to skip over to that because that's so important. So tell us about that. And that part of the book really started by, again, a conversation, conversation that ends up being everything, right? So one day in March of 2020, one of my very favorite nurses said to me one day, Mindy, I am so concerned I'm going to make a mistake because I can't focus. I can't concentrate. And I took a breath and I went, oh my gosh, Rachel, you have a snake on your head. And because I taught this to all of our staff, (laughs) she knew exactly what I meant. And she said, you're right, I do. And at that moment, I thought to myself, what did Rachel need? Keep me informed, keep me safe, keep me comfortable. And if you think about what we did in March of 2020, we didn't know anything. We were flying by the seat of our pants with this whole COVID thing, right? And we'd come in and we'd say, here's what you have to do to be safe. And the next day, or maybe an hour later, we came in and we said, wait, that's all wrong. Here's what you have to do to be safe. And then the next day or an hour later, we came in and we went, wait a minute, we don't have enough PPE for that. So here's, and what was she worried about? Am I going to take this to my next patient and make that patient who doesn't have COVID? Are they going to get it from me? 
Am I going to get it myself? Am I going to bring it home to my family? Right? Because we were learning as we went and we had to keep people safe. We had to help them feel comfortable in the situation and give them as much information as we could as we were learning it. And one of the things that I saw was that the, I worked with six hospitals and talked with people across the country. And what I saw was that the leaders who passed out information as fast as they got it, their team seemed to do better because at least they knew we were trying to get them as much information as we could as we were learning. But it also connected for me that there were a lot of what, remember I said my role was around associate experience first and then the patient experience. So a lot of the things I had done, that one conversation connected the dots as to why they needed those same things at scary times for the healthcare team. And that is like when you get a new leader, I saw over and over again, teams that did really well when a new leader came in, their results fell until they were comfortable because they were worried about things like, well, who is this new person and what are they going to change and how do they do things? And right, and while they were worried about that, they couldn't really focus on their job as well and the results began to fall. And so the sooner you can build that relationship, again, it gets right back to relationships, right? As soon as you can build that relationship between that leader and their team, the results went back. When you get a new job, even if you're very, it's, uh, you just changed jobs, you went to a new place, right? Even though you I know what that. you're doing. And I'm the new leader, so it's the same thing. Right? Yeah. You had to figure out, well, how do they do things here? And what are those unwritten rules here that I don't know? And are they going to be nice to me here? Are they going to welcome me? Am I going to be an outsider or an insider? And how do we help that person feel safe and comfortable and know what they need to know with us? And then during times of major change, people need those same things. So yeah, second half of the book looks at those same things related to the healthcare team. Yeah, the analogy is when you're on the airplane and start the good down, right? Put your own mask on first and then you help the person next to you. And if you're not taking care of yourself, yes. you're not going to do a very good job taking care of others. Yes, and it's okay to take care of yourself first. It's important. It is okay. Yes. So we're running out of time, but I want to ask two more questions. One is, so... Right now, clarify what are you doing on patients? How are you helping people with this great idea that you have? Well, writing the book was one of the first things I had done the research with the Barrel grant. I was very fortunate to get this grant and they allowed me to present this with Barrel. I had that opportunity. And so I did some presentations, a couple of them. And the research study itself is published on Barrel's website. But I felt like I wanted to reach a broader audience. And so that's what encouraged me. That and a lot of my colleagues who said, Mindy, you got to write a book. I semi-retired. I stepped out of my role in the healthcare system. And they said, you've got to write a book. You've got to write a book. So I wrote this book. And my dream and my hope now is that the book will help people see patients a little bit differently. And then secondly, I've been doing some consultations, some coaching, some presentations, about the book and about other things about creating strong teams. So really the second half of the book as well. And that's what I hope to be doing more of in the months to come at this point in my career. I still want to make a difference for the patient experience. And that's really where my heart is. And we're going to get all your content information, put those on the notes and I'll ask you about it later. But we always end with the last question that I gave you a very short warning for. You've had a lot of patient interactions in your life. You've had a lot of team interactions and you've had some personal interactions. But the title of this 
podcast is Digital Conversations, Lessons I Learned. So yes. think about either it could be a specific conversation or it could be a type of conversation, which you think are the, is the most difficult one to have. And give us some advice on how you were able to navigate through that or you weren't able to navigate, but you learned from it. I'd have to say for me, I like everybody to be happy. If you haven't picked that up for me in the last half hour is I really want everybody to be happy. And so complaining (laughs) patients are sometimes difficult for me because they're upset. They're angry, angry patients. And I think one of the things that's helped me is to try really hard to see that snake on their head. You know, when people are angry, what usually sits right under that anger is fear. And we are wired for fight or flight. If someone comes at us angry, we're either going to push back or flee, neither of which is going to help them, right? But if we can stop and go, oh, I wonder what they're afraid of, or I wonder what they're worried about, or wonder what they're scared of, and can sit and listen to them. And sometimes it's hard because like I want to descend because they're talking about my team and my people and things that, and sometimes... It's not always exactly the way they saw it, but I realized pushing back doesn't help. They just need me to listen, to just listen. And if you can realize you're dealing with someone who's very, very frightened, they're not at their best selves. They have a snake on their head. I don't know what it is, but there's something. And if I can just listen to them until they finish telling me their whole story, let it all out. And then when they're all done, I go, that's a lot. And it sounds like you're really pretty frustrated or pretty angry or pretty whatever emotion it is, but I'm so glad you told me because I want to help you. And then begin to talk about how is it that I can help you? What is the most important thing I could do right now that could help that? Sometimes I can't do what they want me to do. And again, that's also really hard for me because I can't necessarily make their loved one better or I can't. But what could I do right now that would help make you all more comfortable or help you? Or thank you at least for sharing that with me. I'm hearing that. Is that always easy? Did I always do it right? Did I get caught up sometimes when they pushed my buttons about the organization that I worked for for 30 years and was very proud of? I would lie to you if I'd said they didn't sometimes get to me, but it's something I worked at and I just kept working at trying to see that snake. Excellent advice. That's really, really great. Mindy, this has been really great. The book is There's a Snake on My Head. It will be out by the time this airs. This has been a great interview. I think our audience is really going to learn a lot from you. And it's wonderful that you're doing this work. We're going to put it in the show notes. But for those people who are listening, what is the best way to get in touch with you? You can email me at mgspiegel. And Spiegel is spelled S-P-I-G-E-L at gmail.com. I also have a website that is mindyspiegel.com. So you could reach me on my website. And I'd love for you to purchase my book on Amazon. And I'd love to hear what you thought about it. And if there's anything I can do to help you. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and follow or subscribe, depending on your podcast platform. We're available on all podcasts. If you want to learn more about Mindy, we'll put this all in the show notes. If you need to get in touch with me or you have a guest that you think would be perfect to be on this podcast, we are very proud that we, I got this very strange number. We're in the top 301% of all podcasts around the world, which sounds better than it is because there's a lot of podcasts that are small, but we're very, very proud that we've been in the Apple Top 100. But you can reach me at info at theorcdway.com. Please go ahead and tell your friends to hit subscribe. The more downloads that we get, 
the better guests that we get, like Mindy and other very famous people that we've had on. So thank you so much. And please go ahead and listen to the next podcast. Have a great day. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment and review. To contact Dr. Orsini and his team or to suggest guests for future podcasts, visit us at theorsiniway.com. The comments and opinions of the interviewer and guests on this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions and beliefs of their present and past employers or institutions.